the best way I can describe it is if I kind of hold my hands up um, kind of right in front of my face and I touch my thumbs to my nose, that would represent the size of my blind spot. Um, and then from there on the outside, I can see my peripherals, but it's just, um, you know, very much lack of detail and, um, and clarity for the most part. So when I'm looking off on the horizon, I can see the, I can see the mountains off in the distance, but it's not like I can see any, you know, characteristics of different lines or, you know, avalanche paths or anything like that from here. Welcome back to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series with Canadian para-alpine skier Mac Marcoux and his current guide, Tristan Rogers. Marcoux, who lives on the US-Canada border in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, was born with perfect vision. He loved being outdoors, snowmobiling, go-kart racing, and riding mountain bikes. It wasn't until age eight that he began to realize that something was wrong. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't really notice. It was my teacher more than anything. I, uh, I was sitting in the back of the class and over a, like a two month span in my grade four year, I believe. I was, uh, I was sitting in the back of the class and just, I was struggling to see the chalkboard. So I asked the teacher if I could move up, move up a desk and move up a desk. And after a couple of weeks, I'd gone from the back of the class to the front of the class. And then another week or two went by and I slid my desk forward and I was sitting right, you know, underneath the little chalk rim on the on the uh on the chalkboard and I was staring up at it and I think at that point my teacher called my parents and just said that you know I should consider going to get my eyes checked at the I might need glasses and um you know I'd previously gone to the eye doctor maybe four or five months beforehand so it uh it was a little bit of a shock for my parents so we went and got checked up anyway and um yeah within a couple months my vision had deteriorated a fair amount and um you know, at first my eye doctor almost didn't, you know, really realize what was going on. And it took them a long time. You know, they never had seen um, my disease in particular or, you know, had dealt with anything like that in the past. So it was um, it was more so like, you know, hey, has any of Max's friends just gotten glasses? Maybe he wants some glasses or is he just trying to follow follow a trend? And uh, so we took another couple of weeks and then went back to the eye doctor again. And, and my vision had deteriorated a little bit more so. From there, started the long uh, diagnosis process. We went down to Toronto and SickKids and spent some time just trying to figure out what was going on. And um, all said and done, I ended up diagnosed with Stargardt's disease, um, which is a juvenile form of macular degeneration. Um, and it's taken all my central vision and left me with 6% in the peripheral. It's as though everything directly in front of him is black. Stargardt's disease occurs in one of every 10,000 people and it's almost exclusively diagnosed in childhood and early adolescence. Progressive degeneration of the macula, which is responsible for sharp, in-focus, straight-ahead vision, normally leads to partial blindness, but rarely renders individuals totally blind. For Marcou, this left him seeing only 6% of his peripherals, akin to 2200 vision, legally blind. For Marcou, although this development altered his visual perception, it never stopped him from extreme sports. After my vision started to deteriorate, um, you know, we started realizing that maybe racing go-karts and that sort of deal wasn't going to be, you know, a viable option for for the future. So we started looking into sports for visually impaired athletes and, and um, you know, it was more my parents than me. I was just along for the ride. 
but uh, they were, you know, on the hunt to try and find something that we could all do together and, and, you know, continue to play outside as a family. And, um, you know, over a little bit of time, stumbled across um, skiing. And originally uh, we had looked into Nordic skiing because there's a uh, Brian and Robin McKeever are, Brian's a super decorated Paralympian and also had the same disease as me. So we were looking into the Nordic side of things and we're like, oh, well, why don't we go and do the same thing that he's doing? And um, my mom ended up getting a phone call from uh, the athletic director for the Paralpine team at the time. And uh, I guess just he had seen an article and somehow had heard that we had racing go-karts before. And, and, you know, a lot of that transcends into ski racing and just asked if we'd ever be interested in, in ski racing. And, you know, this is in 2000, I don't even know, four or five. Um, so we weren't, you know, seeing the Paralympics and didn't know anything about Paralpine or Parasport in general for the most part. Marcou joined his local race club and dug his heels in. Up to 2011, he was still racing able-bodied, but as his vision continued to deteriorate, it became a better choice to start training with a guide. I was getting old enough where I was able to start competing in, in um, um, I guess, para-alpine events. And my vision had deteriorated enough that I could start skiing with a guide or I should have started skiing with a guide. And uh, my brother stepped up as my guide and we bought a set of radios online and uh, spent that whole season training with the local ski club and trying to figure out how we could ski together and jump in a course at the same time. And um, yeah, after a full season, we thought we were ready to go out and give her a whirl with the para-alpine crew and see where we stacked up against the rest of the Canadian athletes and um, kind of from there it just started snowballing. We started training with their development program and bounced around North America the next season and just you know immersed ourselves in the world of para-alpine skiing and just got familiar with the whole thing and um, I think we raced our first World Cup the following season after that so 2012-13 was our World Cup debut and uh, from there it just kind of snowballed for the last 10 years. For those unfamiliar with para-alpine skiing, there are three categories of visually impaired ski racers. There's a B1, a B2, and a B3. Um, and a B1 would be your least sighted um, classification. It's for athletes that are totally blind. And then the B2 would be your four to 5% vision range. Um, and then your like IV and B3. So I'm the most sighted of the visually impaired athletes. Um, so I can see enough that I'm not as much needing the, the left and right and no kind of as much feedback that way. It's more so um, Tristan or whoever's guiding at the time, Tristan's my current guide and they're calling um, train changes, different changes in snow conditions, um, different combinations in a course and um, more so just kind of giving feedback of where we are in the course so that I can have as much information as possible in order to uh, try and lay down a clean run. B3s are grouped under the International Blind Sports Federation as any athlete who functions between a 260 and a 660 vision, or a visual field of between 5 and 20 degrees. The Canadian Paralympic Committee further structures that classification by denoting B3 athletes as those with, quote, no more than 10% functional vision. It's kind of one of those things, it's just a work in progress, and it almost happens in the background, um, like subconsciously in a way. Um, it deteriorates slow enough that that my body and my brain just kind of compensates and and makes it work, you know, adjust little things. And over the years for me, um, 
along with my vision deteriorating, you know, with losing more detail and that sort of deal, I've been, you know, fighting issues like light and stuff like that. Changes in light are starting to have bigger, bigger effects on what I can see and what I can't see. And um, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's, a, it's like a constant evolution. You're always learning. You're always trying new things, seeing what works and what doesn't. And um, it just kind of keeps you on your toes. You got to be paying attention to everything and all the little details so that, um, you know, we can figure out the best way possible to kind of keep progressing. When Marcou began skiing with his brother BJ as his guide, the possibilities for success were boundless. As soon as they turned their radios on, the chemistry was effortless. The gradual macular degeneration lent itself to an increased requirement for proprioception. Marcou says that fine-tuning his other senses and his body awareness came from his time spent outside. I think I test a lot of that just to how I grew up and, and what I do outside of ski racing. I spent a ton of time as a kid um, you know, on dirt bikes and, and just always doing stuff that was, you had to be very aware of what you were, what you were doing, where your body was. And then from dirt bikes, I did a lot of biking over the years. A lot of started off as a little kid at the BMX playing around at the skate park. And then, you know, now living in Whistler and, um, you know, started off mountain biking as a little bit of a cross training sport, but always have been super interested. And over the years, it's evolved to something that I'm almost equally as passionate about as I am with skiing and so I think just finding different ways to challenge myself off snow and and outside of skiing is is allowed me at least just to you know become very aware of what's going on when I'm on my feet and knowing where I am in the air on the ground and and kind of everything in between. In a sport where competitors might not always have two feet firmly planted in the snow it was paramount for Marcou to find guides who understood what he was going through and could tailor their directives to his innate sense of spatial awareness. In ski racing, you're very much planning for, for jumps because they're very, they're not very high, but they're very long flights for the most part, um, just because you're carrying a lot of speed. Um, and then, you know, just, I think training it a lot off snow, like riding downhill bikes and, um, I spent a lot of time in the backcountry snowmobiling and free skiing and, you know, jumping off cliffs and cornices and whatever I can for the most part. So I think um, the more time you spend in the air, the more comfortable you are. Um, but for me, I think it's just, you know, trying to stay centered and trying to make sure I come come down on my feet and not, uh, not any other way. <laughs> Working with a guide is something the Marcou has become well acclimated to. And essentially, placing his safety in another person's hands has, surprisingly, never been much of a concern for him. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask, like, is it very hard to trust somebody? But, you know, as a visually impaired athlete, you don't really have an option. It's either you trust the person in front of you or you, you're on your own. So um, you can build trust really fast <laughs> if, you, if you think of it that way. And uh, no, lucky enough, it's always just I've always gotten along really good with with my guides and you know everyone skis a little bit differently so that takes a little bit of time to get used to and adjust to but um at the end of the day you can learn a lot from different styles of skiing so you know take a little bit with you from each guide and um and yeah just kind of it's a it's a lot of i think patience and just being open-minded and and okay with learning new things along with taking the time to actually teach the new guide what what I need in order to uh, be successful and vice versa so it uh yeah it takes a little bit of time but usually one or two camps and we'll kind of get into the 
into the swing of things. And then we just kind of feed off positive momentum and keep trucking forward. When he joined Team Canada's para-alpine team in 2013, with his older brother BJ guiding him, the duo suddenly found themselves on the Canadian para-alpine A-team and traveling around the world competing on the World Cup circuit. Mac, 15 at the time, competed in the 2013 IPC Alpine Skiing World Cup, where he and BJ took home three medals. Racing World Cup was, was pretty, pretty cool and I got to evolve kind of with the sport over the years and for that I'm super grateful you know even getting the opportunity to go race world cups when i was 14 15 years old was a was a you know a blessing in its own right and we were just stoked to be there and stoked to be around all these phenomenal athletes and i think you know being able to train and, and race alongside the best in the world at a super young age allowed me to just be able to take in as much information as i possibly could and ask lots of questions to you know, lots of different athletes from lots of different countries and <laughs> and uh, was just super interested in the whole environment and um, you know from there you know we ended up having some really good results throughout those first couple seasons and it definitely um, had set up some some lofty goals but for myself I've never been much of a results-based skier um, and still still not I uh when I look at a season, I want my main goal is to come out of that season happy and satisfied with the way we skied. And, you know, if there's medals, that's great. And if not, that is what it is. Um, you know, obviously we're not there to to go out and just, we're not out for a, for a fun little free ski, but, uh, but we want to make it as fun as we can. Yeah. So the goals, the goals come and go for sure. And I'd say as we progress in sport and as you know, you start achieving the goals that you set for yourself or that have been set for you through, through, um, you know, without playing Canada, we set goals ahead of time and, uh, and lost some results based. But I think for me, it's always just been about having fun and, and trying to go fast. When he's won as many medals as Marku has up to this point, it's ironic that he puts such little weight into each of them. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, the, the success is is a is a byproduct of just enjoying enjoying the sport um you know like for me ski racing is just super fun and it's a it's a great time when days are good you know there's lots of bad days out there too but uh you know the good days definitely trump the bad ones when it comes down to just going out and in reality it's just it's a blast his success in 2013 was followed by statistically the best year of his life the 2014 Winter Paralympic Games in Sochi, Russia, were on the horizon, and the Marku brothers were taking over the para-alpine competitions, until 10 days before the Paralympic Games were set to begin. It was a lot of fun right off the bat. We were, we were racing really well. My brother and I were building up for, for the games, um, but my brother had also been battling with um, some issues with a couple of herniated discs in his back. and. Um, and you know, he was on and off snow a lot. So he spent most of the lead up to the games off snow, just trying to rehab and recover. And then we had a really good training camp leading in and, um, about a week, week and a half before the games, he ended up tossing his back out again. So, um, the team and I, and my brother, we all sat down and tried to come up with the best option. And I guess at the end of the day, we, we ended up kind of resourcing to a backup guy just to just to be safe you know um rolling into the games this can be it can be dangerous skiing with a back injury and um we ended up 
you know, BJ stepped along off to the sidelines and let Rob come in and, um, and come in for the, for the Paralympics. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was weird. It was, it was a super depressing because my brother and I had trained so hard for so long just for this, you know, this one race series. But at the same time, it was a lot of weight kind of lifted off our shoulders um, when it came to, you know, the pressure that we had built um, from us and external pressure from media and that sort of deal from, you know, the previous success we had in the seasons prior. Um, it went from, you know, going in with these very, results-based goals and that's usually it wasn't how I normally kind of operated but there was a lot of pressure and I think after my brother had gotten hurt and stepped aside it was a lot easier just to take a big breath and say all right we're here we're gonna go out and see what we can do and you know just have fun with it and I think that's what kind of propelled us into rolling out with two bronze and a gold at the end of the day. Switching guides less than two weeks before the biggest showing of his life put Marku in a slightly off-kilter position. Honestly, we were so lucky to even be able to go and compete. I was 16 and um, at that time was the youngest athlete for Canada. And we were um, we were just stoked to be there. And I think for me, it just it turned into a very big reset. And, you know, thank God I was skiing with Rob. And Rob was, uh, you know, such a great, great dude to be around. and such a confident person. And, you know, he just radiated positivity. So... We, uh, yeah, we just jumped in, got through our downhill training runs before opening ceremonies, and we had a, we had a pretty good buildup of, of speed. So it just, you know, we just fed off that good momentum and, and uh, jumped in with two feet and just figured, lay it all down and see what happened. And I think after the first day, we just slowly kind of built on that positive momentum all the way through the next, you know, seven days of competing. Marku and backup guide Rob Femi took to the Sochi Slopes in 2014 where they brought home three medals, two bronze and Marku's first gold in giant slalom. Yeah, we definitely, uh, we definitely were very, very stoked leaving. <laughs> it was, it was great being able to have, you know, my brother right on site as well. And, um, he can come up to the athlete center with a guest pass and we could, you know, hang out and just share the experience together, which made it super great. Um, but leaving for sure, we, we left with our heads held high and, and just super proud to be able to, you know, compete and race for Canada and, and come home with some medals and, um, you know, just a very overwhelming sense of pride, I guess you could say, coming through the airport on the way home. Marcoux was stunned when their plane landed in Sault Ste. Marie. The town of roughly 75,000 people were waiting with flags and banners. Yeah, it was actually crazy. It was, uh, it was we came home to the airport and uh, there was, I can't even tell you, there were hundreds of people in the airport. You know, friends and family and just as many people as they could jam in there. It was in there. It was it was pretty it was pretty amazing. And um, I think to come home to that, it was very, very special for for my brother and I to see how many people were were paying attention and were just, you know, celebrating with us. Going into the World Championships in 2015, a teenage Marku felt fully embraced by Team Canada. Absolutely. Um you know, I couldn't be more grateful to be surrounded by such an amazing crew of people, um, you know, right from top to bottom, our support staff, our coaches, our techs, our teammates, everyone's been so awesome throughout, you know, this long road. And, you know, I've, I've seen it evolve from, you know, I was the new kid on the block and I was just the, <laughs> I was the little kid on the team for sure. And the team was uh, a lot older of a crowd and, 
uh, I had a lot to prove to now days where I'm still just trying to prove myself every day, but I, um, uh, I'm now the most, the most senior athlete on the team when it comes to, uh, you know, being a veteran, it's, uh, it's been pretty crazy and it's been a lot of fun over the years and I don't think I'd change a thing, you know, the, everyone's just so great to work with and we really are just a really big family. Back with BJ as his guide in 2015, the Marcoux boys won downhill gold in the world championships with their home country as host. In 2015, we had um, world championships here in Canada for, for the first time. So we were um, very much gearing up for that um, right away. So, you know, it took a little bit of time to, you know, celebrate and, and be excited. But at the same time, it was very much just reshifting and redirecting, um, you know, this, this really good momentum that we built coming out of the games towards, you know, the next season rolling into world championships. So, um, yeah, we didn't have a heck of a lot of time off and, and we pretty much just, you know, got home, celebrated and then put the nose back to the grindstone and went to work. In 2016, BJ Marcoux hung up his skis. After his brother was plagued by injury, Mac was forced to find another guide. Jack Leach eagerly stepped up to the plate, and the pairing immediately produced results. At the 2017 World Para-Alpine Skiing Championships in Tarvisio, Italy in January, the duo took home four gold medals and a silver. This huge win was followed closely by the Para-Alpine World Cup Final in March, when Marcoux and Leach captured gold in the downhill, silver in the Super G, and a fourth place finish in the slalom. Now one of the world's premier para-alpine skiers, Marcoux never stopped working toward his second games, the 2018 Paralympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Building a race routine that stayed consistent throughout his work up to the games was of the utmost importance to Marcoux and Leach. Pretty much have all your ducks in a row every day so that there's not really a huge difference between a race day and a training day. Um, you know, we always say train to race and race to train. Um, and that's something that, you know, is, is really important for, for me, especially to be able to have, you know, as many similarities as possible so that when it comes to race day, you're not, you know, overcompensating or stressing out about, about little things. Um, and then honestly, after, after a race, it's a lot more just going back and looking at your race runs and seeing what was good and what was bad and what you could take from that run to put down a better run the next day. So lots of uh, rolling through video and, and that sort of deal and just seeing what, what we can change to be faster or ski stronger. So it's, um, other than that, it's, it's pretty much straightforward. You go in, kick out of the start and try and be the fastest one at the bottom every day. With the 2018 Paralympics finally upon them, Marcoux and Leach were jiving well. What was a bronze in the downhill in 2014 turned into a gold, and what was a gold in the giant slalom in 2014 turned to bronze. Now, with six Paralympic medals to his name, Marcoux again took time to celebrate. But it came at the same time that his guide of two seasons, Jack Leach, was deciding to formally retire. In May 2018, Marcoux was once more in search of a guide. That's when he found Tristan Rogers. Rogers, a hockey player turned competitive ski racer, didn't even know about para-alpine skiing or what the requirements were to become a guide. He was ski racing with his own club when the coaching staff sent a message that changed his life. The head coach of the Motomo Ski Club was Mac's old coach, and he had been notified that Jack was retiring. Um, and he kind of sent us an email and he said, hey, Tristan, this would be a good idea. 
um, I think you should try it out. And at first, I, I wasn't so sure because, you know, I was finally kind of hitting my stride and, and starting to ski faster and stuff. But um, I thought it would be ridiculously silly to even miss miss the opportunity to try it and, and see if I liked it and flew down to Mount Hood. And um, yeah, Mac and I connected for five days of training and yeah, the rest is history, I guess. Marku, coming off long stints with his previous guides, was once again working with a rookie. Um, I'm usually the first time. <laughs> I'm usually the first time. So normally they're, they're ski racers and um, either with the provincial team or, you know, just just athletes that weren't weren't going to be able to continue on or to ski racing as a as a career um you know getting working with the national team and stuff it can be very expensive and and you know making your way up is um very time consuming and uh hard on the body so you know athletes that are just just on the verge and and are kind of done with the sport is usually where we where we find them and and kind of give them a little bit of shift mentally and the opportunity to keep skiing and and uh and come hang out on the para circuit for a bit Luckily for Rogers, Marku knew exactly what he wanted and needed out of a guide. You know, a guide for me has to be someone who is a really strong skier and, and someone that um, can be very consistent on their feet. Um, <laughs> so, you know, not somebody who's super loose and, and uh, checkers or records kind of mentality. It's a lot of fun and I, and I, I love that aspect of ski racing but I need someone who's you know just very consistent someone that can um you know be able to multitask a lot because not only are they thinking about what they're doing they're skiing they're relaying information back and forth and then you know we just have to be able to <laughs> have to be able to get along off the hill as well because we spend uh, a heck of a lot of time together throughout the seasons and um you know just I've been super fortunate over the years to just always land with really great dudes that are a lot of fun on and off the snow and just become uh, part of the family. <laughs> that made the process of assimilation far easier for Rogers. I think Mac knew exactly what he wanted from a guide, which made my job incredibly easy. Um, we would get down to the bottom of the run and, and he'd say, you know, something like, um, you know, you, you use this word, but I don't like that. Use this one instead. Okay. Easy done. Like, <laughs> okay, next, you know, and, and things like that. And he, he was very experienced, obviously having skied for two years with Jack and then four years before that with his brother, um, and having gone to already two games and, and being incredibly successful at, you know, world cup racing and, and world championships and the Paralympics. Um, you know, he, he's had the experience, he knows what he needs and he made that really clear and, and had really good communication. Even still, Rogers came in nervous of what he had just agreed to with the two-time Paralympian. Yeah, I was super nervous about it um, for a while. Um, if I can just tell a funny story, when we came down to Portland, I met Mac in the airport. We drive to Mount Hood. And both him and I were coming from Ontario, so we'd had long travel days and, and whatever. So get back to the hotel and drop our packs off, kind of make some food, go to bed, wake up the next morning to go skiing. And um, 
Mac had forgotten one of his boot boards, which is a super important piece of equipment. It kind of sits in the bottom of your ski boot and makes it flat. Um, because if not, you have this kind of weird molded plastic shape that you have to stick your foot in. So it's very essential piece of equipment and, and Mac had forgotten his at home. Um, just with the chaos of getting home from the games and, and unpacking and having all these ski boots, um, something had gone wrong somewhere. So, you know, I, I figured I was so, so, so nervous that first day. And then when he let me know, he said, I, I forgot my boot board. I don't think I'll be skiing much. I said, oh, thank God, you know, like, <laughs> I can't screw up worse than that. <laughs> Marku and Rogers immediately hit it off. I think I would have been fired after a week if he didn't like me. Um, but I think one thing that makes us really close is that kind of, um, we have kind of a big brother, little brother relationship. Uh, he's a bit older than me and he's a lot more mature than I am. So he, you know, he, always teasing me and stuff like that but you know I give it back and we have that chemistry and we're able to you know play pranks on each other and and really keep it as casual as we can outside of ski racing because like I said it, about longevity in the sport um, it's one thing if we just go home and we only work and we talk about ski racing exclusively and you know we're we're really focused and all we do is you know our recovery and our nutrition and that's it but i think what's made the excuse me the last four years so much fun is the fact that we can talk about so much more and and kind of be you know two guys just on the road you know go out and explore different places and and have a lot of fun the first thing that i recognized about Mac is how clear he is in his expectations of the guide. Um, obviously, I, I talked about his experience and how, you know, he's he's had those um, that time on snow and, and that time to recognize, like, what he needs and, and understand that. And I think the thing that impressed me the most is just how easy he made it for me. Um, I was obviously extremely nervous the first time we skied together, but he, you know, he made it clear that, you know, it's okay, you know, you're going to make mistakes and all that. And um, I thought that right off the bat, I had to be perfect. And he was like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, we got to figure this out first. And, um, you know, he was very, um, like I said, precise about what he wanted me to do and, and my role in, in that jacket and in that, um, kind of guide guide role, he made it really easy for me. Rogers was suddenly thrust into a position that not another single soul in Canada was currently in. Yeah, I think my perspective's really unique, being an able-bodied athlete in a disabled sport. Um, and I think that, you know, it's one thing to kind of go through the motions and, and do my job as a guide. And, you know, I can be really satisfied with that. I can look back and say that I did a good job. I did what I had to do. And, you know, I filled out all the criteria and, and stuff like that. But I think if I can use my experience for more than just that and, and use my experience to, you know, create awareness and, and bring more attention to the fact that 
there are so many possibilities for disabled athletes in sport. Um, you know, I, I always thought that um, it's important for athletes to know that, you know, they, they shouldn't do the sport that they can, they should do the sport that they want, you know, and if that means going out and riding a dirt bike, then, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta become more accessible. And if that means that they want to get into free skiing, then I'm really, really proud to be able to carve that path with Mac and kind of broaden their horizons for what it means to be a disabled skier. You know, right now I'm, I'm the only one on, on the A team. There's another one on the development team now that's kind of stepping up as of this year. Logan Leach is a visually impaired skier. He's 17 years old from Vernon, BC. And um, his guide, Julian, um, just started working with him a couple of years ago and they just made the team now. So, you know, in the whole country, there's two of us. Um, so it is, a, and for the last three years, it was only myself. Um, it is a really, you know, unique job. I don't think that, um, you know, there are too many opportunities at, at this high performance level to do what I'm doing. But at the same time, um, you know, there, there are ways to get involved and, and, um, yeah, but in my case, I just got lucky. <laughs> Even though Rogers and Marcou travel together, train together and spend nearly every waking moment together, there's never a dull moment. So how much time do they actually spend together off the slopes? A lot. <laughs> um, we spend a ton of time off snow. So if you think about how much time we actually spend on snow daily, it's, it's not very much, you know, a couple hours, a couple hours a day. And then, uh, so we'll, we'll, like if we're in a, on a training camp on snow, we'll train say from 7.30 or 8 a.m. until noon. And then we get back and we're usually rooming together. So we get back, get changed. We have a dry land session in the afternoon, plus physio and stuff. So on the road, we're pretty much together 24 seven. And then, uh, you know, in the off season, we all centralize here in Whistler and uh and train together throughout the summer in the gym so we're together a lot <laughs> for rogers the pressure of working with marcou doesn't stem from his accolades or the sponsors or the fan base it manifests from his need to be the best for mac i think we're both focused on the task at hand and and we both try and find as much enjoyment and fulfillment from ski racing as, as we can and and the results are kind of just a bonus. I mean, we are competitors, we are athletes, you know, we do this to, to be the best, but um, in terms of pressure, I think that the pressure comes from creating a game plan and, and trying to execute it. And, you know, any ski racer would tell you that um, the result is kind of just what happens when, when it all goes well, but, you know, it's completely out of our control and can't change the past, so. Yeah, we just focus on, on the execution and, and the task at hand. I have the best job in the world. I feel extremely thankful to the organization and to my coaches. And um, more, even more than all that, I, I feel thankful to Mac for allowing me to have this experience and being so, you know, easygoing through all these difficult times. Um, and from a more performance standpoint, I think, uh, you know, I. I'm, I'm where I want to be in terms of my mental performance, taking the last year during COVID to, um, you know, shift the focus from guiding Mac to focusing on 
myself and all the flaws that I need to correct to be the best guide possible in this coming year. Um, whether that be working on my own skiing or, or mental strength through the various programs that we have with our um, mental strength coach. And, and I think that all of those kind of aspects of my skiing and, and my performance are kind of coming together. So I feel really ready. I feel very confident and uh, yeah, right, right where I want to be. So what goes into being the perfect guide? What are Marcou's goals going into Beijing 2022? Here, Mac and Tristan break down their relationship and what makes it work so well next week when part two of their story releases. Until then, you can follow them both on Instagram at MacMarcou and at Tristan Rogers. If you just can't wait, though, listen to both of their full interviews available now on the Closer Mentality Uncensored YouTube channel. Next episode's conclusion you won't want to miss. See you next week.